Heavenly Father, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. What a joy, what a privilege to always declare your word, Lord. We know in scriptures, it always speaks about Jesus, it always speaks about your kingdom. So Lord, we just pray that you will open our eyes that we can see, our hearts that we can receive from you, and our ears that we can hear what your spirit wants to teach us this evening. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have been following us, whether uh, you're here or you're listening to this recording, you know that last week we went into a topic called When You Pray. And we are at this part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus teaches about prayer. Last week I shared with you seven points about prayer. We say that prayer, you can define it any way you want, but I like to see prayer as a petition. We, we go to God, we pray because we acknowledge we need Him. We need Him. You know, otherwise, why pray, right? And if you, if you don't pray, then it also signals to us that we might think we don't really need God. Prayer is a petition. Prayer is also a priority, that it is important. Jesus was talking about privacy in prayer, not so much about the publicity that we can get or how well we pray or how loud or how long our prayers are. In prayer, we are to be precise we're not supposed to be rambling with vain repetition. I wonder how many of us uh, were shocked at last week's definition of a vain repetition or a vain prayer. Now go listen to that teaching. It will be interesting to hear what the rabbis talk about. We spoke also about a pattern. And after that, about the persistence of prayer. Really, what are we to be persistent about? And of course, most importantly, we don't want our prayer to be powerless. It has to be spirit-enabled so that we can be spirit-led in our prayer to pray according to how the Spirit will lead. Now, over the next sessions, we will be looking at the pattern of prayer, more specifically. So I want to invite you to make a date with us. Because we are getting into this pattern of prayer which Jesus provided Specifically in Matthew chapter 6, after he teaches how not to pray, he actually tells us how to pray. In this manner, this is how you pray. Traditionally, it is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Personally, I like to call it the Disciples' Prayer because the Lord taught His disciples how to pray. So really, it should belong to the disciples. So if you and I, we are all disciples, this prayer is really for us. But if you look more deeply, if the whole book of Matthew is about kingdom and the Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom living, then right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is this prayer, then I believe it's a kingdom prayer. It's right in the center of this whole sermon. It is to be the priority, it is a centrality, it is necessity that we have to pray about kingdom initiatives. How have you been regarding the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer? Sadly, over the centuries, I believe this prayer has perhaps become a rather ritualistic prayer. So much so that those who pray it, sometimes we might even do it religiously without really understanding it. I'm very thankful that, do you know that in church circles today, that this prayer is actually being recovered more and more in the songs and in the choruses. But for a time and a season, those who are a little bit more charismatic, those who are known to be flowing in the Spirit, they have, they have sort of pushed this prayer one side because it became so ritualistic. It was almost like a vain repetition. We find this in Matthew chapter 6, but there's a second mention of this prayer. We see this in Luke chapter 11. 
And here this is not in the middle, but this prayer was really in response to the disciples' request. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus repeats this prayer, teaches them how to pray, and after that teaches them about persistence, as well as asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the pattern that we'll spend some time exploring. Now remember, this is a pattern. This is not a formula. You know, sometimes we think, oh, if we pray the words exactly with a little bit of emotion here and there, you know, uh, then this prayer will work. It becomes like a little chant. No, it's a pattern. Meaning to say, once we go through these lines, you will realize that these lines are really summary statements of what is important. So if you catch the heart of this pattern and string it all together and sort of help yourself pray through this using this pattern, I believe your prayer life will change. Your focus will be a lot more precise as you learn to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Now, since we're talking about this prayer, I think it's good that we pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If prayer is a petition, I think the very first question we must ask ourselves is, do we know who we are talking to? Who is it that we are coming to to bring a petition? The nuance of this word of prayer in the Old Testament suggests that it is about someone who is of a lower rank going to someone who is of a higher authority, someone who has the power, someone who can make things happen, and you bring this request. And so when we pray and we come to God, do we really know who we are talking to? And if we know who we are talking to, how are we to approach this God? Let me share a little illustration with you. When I was much younger, and I started to work in my father's advertising agency, you know, my dad's name is Henry, and my mom's name is Helen. And the agency name was Hennon, because it was Henry and Helen. Now, that sounds quite interesting and quite cute. Lah. But it doesn't help, because Henson sounds like Hennon. And so when I got into the agency, and I pick up the phone and I answer, you know, hi, this is Hennon Advertising. They would ask me, are you Hennon? And I said, no, I am Henson. And I said, no, you're Henson. Are you Hennon? No, I'm, I'm Henson. Oh, you mean Hennon. I said, no, Henson, not Hennon. Because this person thinks Hennon is the boss. You see, he wants to talk to Mr. Hennon. He doesn't want to talk to Mr. Henson, although we sound almost alike. And even when meeting with the clients, I mean, I was the boss's son. Not a bad position to be in. Like. But it was no use if the boss's son cannot make decisions. And as a young executive at that point in time, I still had to say, you wait, huh? I go back and ask my boss. And so they would always say, you know, can I talk to the man? And guess who the man is? My father-in-law. <laughs> you know? And I think it's like that, right? You know, we all want to talk to someone who has the power to make a decision. We all want to talk to the boss. Now, if you think that it only happens in the secular, in the companies, 
I also discovered after going into full-time ministry, it happens also in the ministry. Now, have you ever had that before? I mean, we're all ministers of God. Amen? Come on, say amen. And I've been there before also where, you know, when the time comes for prayer and you're standing there as a minister of God and people come up to you for prayer. Have you realized that after you pray for them, uh, they line up somewhere else to be prayed for by someone they deem to have a greater anointing? <laughs> and as a young minister starting out, I had to tell myself, it's okay, it's not about me, it's not about me. Don't be offended, don't be upset, you know. Uh, they, they, they just want someone else who is more experienced, you know, who walks perhaps a little bit more closely with the Lord, with, with that anointing and that power and the lay hands, or, or haven't even touched only that guy fall down already. See, everyone wants to talk to someone with power and with the anointing. My question is, as we come to prayer, don't you also want to talk to this, this God and you want to know whether He has that authority and He has that power? That's so why I believe this first line is so important, it's so telling. And this evening, we're going to camp with this very first line. Jesus opens this prayer with this one line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. By memory, we know this by heart. But will you join me as we explore three very broad points as we look at this? And I hope it will stir your heart, that it will encourage you as you learn and explore once more and discover once more who this God is that you are approaching and who you are petitioning. Let's start with this word called in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I want to pick out that word in heaven first because I want to talk about the bigness of our God. Our Father, not just in any place, but our Father in heaven. And I ask you an opening question, friends. Do you know how big your God is? Do you know how big your God is? You know, it brings to mind a little Sunday school song, right? Do you know this? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, right? We, we sing that, but I'm asking you really, do you know how big your God is? Our Father in heaven, you are petitioning your God who lives in heaven. We've got some clues from Scripture, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, this God that you're petitioning, that you're requesting, that you're asking from, that you're coming to, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is Creator God. You are approaching your Father in heaven who is the Creator. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, He declares, Heaven is my throne. Now, how big is heaven, you've got to ask yourself. You have to have a very vivid imagination. Earth is my footstool. This God is the one who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And this verse is so special to myself and also to my wife, Serene. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. I remember this very well because it was, I was still backslidden when I when I attended a membership class where the Bible teacher was sharing about the Holy Scriptures and it was trying to convince us that God's Word is, is beautiful. At that point in time, Serene was a non-believer. Can you imagine this? A backslidden Christian and a non-believer attending a membership class. This is crazy, right? You know? I mean, if sometimes when people ask you, can we attend? You probably look at them and say, cannot. You know, I don't think you're ready for membership. Well, we sneaked into this class because for all the wrong reasons, we had to get membership to get married in the church. 
And so here was this wonderful Bible teacher, and he pulled out this one little verse, Isaiah 40, 22, and he says, look, the Bible knows that the earth is round even before anyone discovered it. It is He who sits above the, the circle of the earth. One line. And it just clicked for me and it clicked for Serene. And, and sometime around there, I don't think it was this verse specifically, sometime around that, that moment, very soon after, Serene gave her life to Jesus. And I was stirred again. And I came back to be with the Lord. And the rest is history. Today I get an honor and a privilege to be declaring God's word to all of you. This is how big our God is. He sits above the circle of the earth and He doesn't just hover over the earth only. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Now if you want some perspective, I was googling for some good pictures and I hope that this is accurate enough. The words are very small, but let me read this to you, even for the sake of our brothers and sisters who are listening in to this recording. This is earth. Now sometimes, you know, we living on earth, and if you have a problem, it's not true that you think your problem is the biggest problem on earth, right? You think it's all about you. This is earth. Now earth is somewhere in this solar system, this solar system is somewhere in the interstellar neighborhood which exists in the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is one of many galaxies in a local galactic group which will then after that, if you zoom out a little bit more, will form the Virgo supercluster which is part of a whole group called the local superclusters which is really what they can observe in the larger observable universe. This is what they have discovered with their telescopes of telescopes today. But the Bible tells us we've got a very, very big God. Amen? We have a very, very big God. And if you want to know where, where you fall in this whole scheme of things, that's where you are. There. You know, have you looked at those theme park maps? Well, so big and you're looking for that red arrow that says, you are here. Can you try to pinpoint your position in the entire observable universe? This is how big your God is. This is how big your God is, our Father in heaven. And we just say heaven, one word. To us, we look at the sky, we say heaven. This is the entire universe and our God created it. I want you to let it sink in for a moment. Sometimes we take these things so far granted that we miss, we miss such a big picture. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And a big God has a big kingdom also, you see. And you look at this one prayer that starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and it ends with, For yours is this kingdom. I mean, can you imagine how big His kingdom is? How powerful His kingdom is? How glorious His kingdom is? The prayer starts with the bigness of God and ends with the bigness of His kingdom. I want you to see this two book ends. This prayer is not only a few verses contained in the entire Bible. I want you to stretch this out in your imagination. This is who you are petitioning. 
And this kingdom is going to last forever. It is an everlasting kingdom. You read about it in Psalms 145 verse 13. We see it in Daniel chapter 4 verse 3. And we read it in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 to 11. It keeps talking about this everlasting kingdom. The prophecy in Isaiah 9, which we know very well about the Messiah, says, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. There shall be no end. I think the the scientists and the people who are looking through their little telescope, however huge their telescopes might be, is still little compared to the observable universe. And they are discovering something also today that they tell you that the universe is growing. That it is growing. It is expanding. That's what they have realized. And it all belongs to our God. And it's all a part of His kingdom. Amen? That's how big your God is. That's how big my God is. Even as we marvel at that, even as we are impressed with that, I know sometimes we look at this and say, wow, if, if this is the bigness of my God, but, but, but I am only there. Then I'm so small. Do I really matter? Have you felt that before sometimes? Are my problems a little bit too small for this big God to, to even bother? He, he's in heaven. Here I am on earth. I mean, that's true. Maybe he's too far away. And that's where this one line, this very first line, doesn't start with, in heaven our Father. It says, our Father in heaven. And so the second point I want to bring you to is not only just the bigness of God, I want you to rediscover once more the closeness of God. God is not big and far away. In theological terms, we call Him the transcendent God. But then also, He's not only that, He's also the imminent God. He's not a God that is all over the place and everywhere and so far away. He's also close to each and every one of us. And Jesus uses a very intimate term to describe His Father. He says, Abba. Abba. And I think He must have blown the minds of His Audience at that point in time, how can you call God so intimately? How can you, you know, relate to Him in such a personal way with that word called Daddy? Daddy. But if Jesus had said that, and He did, in the same way, Paul also declares this over each and every one of us that says that if you believe in Christ, then we have received that spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba! Abba, Father. And we cry that same cry as Jesus would have cried. And if God would have been close to His Son, then God would also be close to each and every one of us. See, friends, as you remember and be boggled and be, be, be impressed with the bigness of our God, this Creator God whom we serve, I want you to know tonight once more, you are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And we can say, that's my dad. That's my dad. And we have to rediscover that for ourselves once more. He may be the creator of the universe, but he's still dad to me. You know, I give this example often. I may be a minister of God, where previously I was a I was pastor. I was holding a title. I was dean of a school of ministry. I was ordained to carry a very big, big word called reverend. 
Very scary, that word, you know. Um, today, I'm a, like a, a teacher of the word. Um, started this ministry. I'm the, I'm the founder of Akipa's Awakening. Wow, very impressive, huh? I can add a few more titles behind my name as a printer, just print a few more letters. You can call me whatever you want to call me. But when I'm home, I'm dead. When I'm home, I'm dead. When I'm with my seven children, I'm dead. When we're out to the zoo, when we're trying to play table tennis as we tried to do yesterday, and I can't catch the ball now. <laughs> when they're doing rock climbing, and I'm there trying to hold that rope for them, I'm dead, although my neck is like very painful after a while. But I'm dead. Amen? I'm, I, my, my little girl runs up to me. I open the door. She doesn't go, Hi, Pastor. She doesn't do that, right? You know, the moment I open the door, she runs into my, my arms, God, Daddy! You know, that's dead. You know, I, I'm dead. I, they don't care who I am. And when I remember, and nowadays my, my memory slips a, a while, and these guys, older ones, are having emails. And you know, sometimes we have our sign offs, and my sign off is uh, uh, Hanson, and behind, you know, it's like a, a founder of a Keeper's Awakening and this and stuff. I, I would, when I remember, I'll delete all those, and I'll, I will sign off as Love Dad. I mean, that's it. You know, I'm not talking to them from my official position. I'm talking to them from a relationship of being a father to them. Amen? And I think we need to understand that about our God. That He is our Father. He is our Father. And as our Father, God is interested in us. God as Father is interested in me. And I think it's really amazing, isn't it? I mean, this God, I mean, we, we looked at the intergalactic this and that, names that we cannot even pronounce, things that we can't even see, things we don't understand. It just blows our imagination. But this Creator God, amazing God, is interested in me. And He's interested in each and every one of us. There's one verse that, that really grips my heart each time I read it. And I encourage you to review this one verse in Psalm 8 verse 4, right? Who is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. You know, as a younger person, maybe we've all made that mistake before. I had a wrong understanding. We think we can conquer the world. We, can, we think we can do anything, right? We, we think we have the best solution to everything. But after you cross a certain age and you have made enough mistakes, you realize, man, we are hopeless, man. Come on, am I, am I speaking the truth down here, right? It's like, I can't get this right. I, mean, I, I, mean, I can try it the best I can and I still mess up. I may be very good in something, but I still cannot make it. I'm hopeless. And here is a God who looks at us and the psalmist says, with the same kind of a puzzlement, man, Lord, who, who is this guy? Why do you look at me? Why do you even pay attention? Why do you even send Jesus to redeem humanity? We have a Father who is interested in us. Amen? And as a Father, I know my Father, God, loves me. My Father loves me. But how does He love me? Right? I think this is very important because today we have all kinds of definitions of what love should be or could be or must be. 
And let me quote you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. And Paul makes a reference to fathers. He says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Paul gives three things here about a father, how he exhorts, how he encourages, and how he charges their children. Now, before that, he talks about mothers. The mothers will nurse and the mothers will nourish. And there's a role for mothers in that sense. But for fathers, this is what they do. The word exhort is exactly the same word, parakaleo, which we get the Holy Spirit as our helper. And a God, our Heavenly Father, exhorts us, does He not? He comes alongside us and He calls out the things that are important to us. He encourages us. In the second word, not only does He encourage, He comforts us, And we see it's also, it starts with that same compound word, that one word called para. And para means to come alongside. That's what fathers are to do. We come alongside our children and we're able to encourage them, we're able to comfort them. And not only that, we we don't just, oh, sayang, sayang, don't worry, it's okay, pat, pat on your head. No, no. After that, we charge them. And that word charge comes from a Greek where the root word gives us the English word as a witness. And this is very powerful for myself when I realized this. As as fathers, what we are to do is that we see the strength in our sons. We see the strengths in our daughters. And we are to come alongside them as we witness them growing up and maturing, that we will charge them to say, I've seen you done that. I know you can do it. I believe you. Go for it. That's what fathers do. And I believe our Heavenly Father loves us in this way to encourage us, to comfort us, and to bring us back up on our feet once more. Should we trip or should we sort of scrape our knees? And He says, look, I have made you to be what you are. I know you can do it. I've seen that before. And I know with my enablement, with the Holy Spirit, go, man, my son, go, my daughter. I charge you, complete this assignment. You can do it. See, this is our Father. And this is a word for all fathers even in this room. And and if you're listening to this, this is what we should be doing for our children. Sometimes I know we are too busy and we we sort of miss the growing up of our kids and and we are very hands-off. May this, may this encourage us. Psalm 32 verse 8 is a personal favorite of mine. It says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. This is the New King James. I will guide you with my eye. Now, if you want a new ones, you can read it, you know, somewhere. In, I think the NIV or ESV says that I will counsel you uh, with my eye or with me watching over you. That's what it means. But for a moment when I was reading, you know, God, how do you guide me as a father? I know you teach me, you instruct me, but how do you guide me with your eye? Okay, I'm sorry, my friends, if you're listening to this recording, you can't see my eye. And my imagination sort of, you know me by now, I imagine lots of things. And in in my days, we we grew up with um, Chinese uh, period dramas, kung fu movies. And when the disciple, the younger uh, uh, one who is learning, looks up at the master for an instruction, the master doesn't have to move at all. All he has to do is, He just looks with his eye and points with his eye and the disciple knows where to go and what to do. And I had this picture, you know, it's like, man, 
does God really guide us with His eye? Well, in a way, let's just imagine a little bit. But for me, for me to be guided by His eye, what's important? I must be having, having my eyes looking at Him. Amen? Otherwise, how would I know how He's guiding? How would I know how He's instructing? How is He teaching? And the verse after that, He says, don't be like a stubborn mule, right? Don't be like a horse that needs to be bridled and, and, and pulled along and so on. All He wants for us is to have that relationship with Him, to, to look at Him even as He looks and watches over us. And where He looks, I believe that's what's important. That if we would align our vision with God's vision, will we not also be guided by the Father's eye? Because what he's seeing is important at this point in time. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 7, we see another aspect of the Father's love for us. In verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? It talks about discipline. You cannot talk love without discipline. If you love your children, would you discipline them? Yes, you would. Now, that's what we say in this room. But I think in culture and society today, they are debating this. That if I love, then I'll allow my son or my daughter to do anything that they want so that they can discover for themselves what to do or what they should not do. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that is wise. My humble opinion, okay? I'd rather stay with the Bible. The Bible says, if you love your son, discipline him early. And the same way, because our Heavenly Father loves us, then He disciplines us. And discipline, don't, don't immediately see discipline connected with this one word called punishment. Can you change that mindset? If you have that word associated with discipline, erase it tonight. Erase it right now. Replace it with the word restoration. Discipline is all about restoration. Some punitive measures may be involved, but it is always to bring a person to restoration. Discipline is needed because someone has veered off track. And that's why you must discipline that you may restore this person back into alignment. Amen? If you only know discipline to be punitive and not restorative, may I suggest to you, you only have half the picture. And because we have never done this perfectly and we have not done this well, that's why we have a wrong idea of what discipline is. Because biblically, Discipline is always restorative. Amen to that? See, God is one who is interested in us. Our Heavenly Father loves us. And if you think that you've gone too far to be loved, then definitely the parable of the prodigal son is specially spoken for you. That the Father looks out for us 
Should we be veering off track? Should we be out of alignment? Should we be living in a prodigal lifestyle? He yearns for our return because the father loves the son. I mean, which father down here does not love the son? Even if your children should be wayward. I've prayed with parents before. I've prayed with older parents before where the children are not walking with the Lord. Do you know how their hearts break? How much more, Heavenly Father, yeah? that we would long for the return of our children, that they will come back on track. And the moment we see just a glimpse, a glimpse of that turning back, it's really like that, that story of the prodigal son. The father sees the son way in the horizon. He dashes out to receive the son. That's a picture of the father's love. He desires for us to enjoy him and all that he has for us. We must change our idea of God as a, like a slave driver, you know. Oh, you must do this, you must do that, you know, otherwise you're not good. We have to change that whole mindset because that's how, that's how the older brother thought. And I must always bring this reminder for us in our Keeper's Awakening because our ministry is all about being obedient and faithful to our assignments, right? Now, if you get the wrong end of this understanding, then you're thinking, I must, I must do, you know, otherwise uh, my father will not love me. That is a wrong teaching. It's going down on recording. So I hope that no one gets a wrong idea. You see, our assignments are worked upon out of a love relationship, amen? It's because our Father loves us and we love the Father and that's why we are willing to joyfully and gladly serve Him in the kingdom assignments. If you get it upside down, man, it's going to be so laborious. You're going to feel so condemned. You're going to feel so lousy and Please, friends, Akiba's awakening is not like that at all. Not like that at all. Never, never fall into that wrong thinking. My father has great plans for me. He's interested in me. He loves me, but he doesn't stay there. He's got great plans for me. He knows what's best for me and what he created me for. And the most beautiful thing is that, you know, sometimes we think, you know, maybe I should be doing this. Uh, maybe I'm good for this. Uh, how does this whole thing fit in? God sees the big picture. I mean, He's seated up above in heaven. He knows exactly what's happening. We just see a big mess all over the place. We don't even see how the dots connect sometimes. You know, sometimes we hear testimonies, uh, and we, wow, we like marvel, wow, so soon, uh, this one connect, this one connect, this one connect, this one connect. Wow, you're so spiritual. You're so faithful. You're so obedient. Can I share a secret with you? When this person was going through, uh, totally blur. Very likely. I mean, come on, let's own up, Okay. Maybe 9 out of 10 will be like that. Maybe that one person, very napsot one. Huh? Let me not begrudge that person of his or her faith and relationship with God. But I'm sharing with you from my own experience that half the time, I am, I am bungling along and wondering, Lord, can you show me what all this thing is about? But God has that big picture. And I like this illustration when uh, Ruth, our uh, number five, was uh, much younger. I think this must have been like four years or five years back. And then she was attempting this word puzzle. Have you seen those word puzzles where you've got letters all over the place? And you have to look at it and try and find words and then sort of circle and, uh, the word that you have found. And then she looked, she was staring at it, she couldn't find it. And then she said, Daddy, I need to look for this word. And I looked at it and I said, Neh? And then she looked at me and she said, Wow, Dad, you are amazing. <laughs> Do you feel like that sometimes? 
I mean, here we are missing all of the place. We don't know where we're going. And then we are praying. We say, Lord, can you please show up? You know, I really need to hear from you. And then he gives this word. He gives a confirmation and he gives a, a, a prophetic guidance. And we look at him like, whoa, Dad, you're amazing. And then we panic after that again. Yeah? This is our God. See, he knows what's best for us. He sees the big picture. And he's allowing us to sort of mess about and, and bungle along because he knows that if you keep close to him and you walk according to his ways and, and get sort of your elbows and your knees scratched a little bit, you begin to grow in maturity. You cannot mature without going through the paces. Let, let's be honest. It's the same in life. It's the same for our spiritual journey. The Father wants us to, to grow up to be like him. And I'm thankful that he doesn't leave us without an example. He says, look at your big brother Jesus, right? The writer of Hebrews says, you know, he's the express image of the Father. You look at his life. He's the king and he lives and runs this kingdom. This is the way he lived it. Now, watch how he does it. Let me borrow from Pastor Peter Sukahira. He says, to, to follow Jesus, sometimes a little bit too difficult. I mean, it's like he's up there and we're like down here. So can I walk with someone a little bit closer to us? So he looks at Paul, as if that's not also a, a very jealous example. <laughs> but Paul is like someone who messed up, right? Paul was a Pharisee, Paul was a persecutor. And, and, uh, and he said, okay, I, I look at Paul. And I see how Paul, understanding the law from a perspective, was touched by the Holy Spirit. Now he understands the spirit of the law. I'm going to look at Paul. See, and God has left us brothers and sisters that we can learn from, we can mimic, we can imitate. If we can't see Paul, if we can't see Jesus, then I pray, look for someone who is walking the kingdom. Look for someone who has a heart for the kingdom. Look for someone who is fulfilling his kingdom assignment without compromise. Look at someone who loves the Father and would gladly live and even die for Jesus. And then mature and grow in maturity. And as you grow, you know, we understand from Jewish boys and Jewish fathers and Jewish businesses that there will come a time. You know, he's an, he's an apprentice first. But when the father deems that it is the correct time, he says, this is the time to take over my business. And he hands over the reins, as it were, over to the son who has been matured. And that's why you hear the father looking at Jesus and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now that was only at the baptism in Jordan, but there's one other time, right? When it happens once more on the Mount of Transfiguration and he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, whatever he says, you do. There's come to a time where he's going to take over right now. He's the one. See, friends, if you want to be on your kingdom assignment, don't you think maturity would be important? And as we are moving along and sort of on training wheels first, you may not be sure of your assignment, but I always tell everyone, then consider that your sub-assignment because it's training you for the big time. That there will be one day when all these things will connect and God will look at you and say, now son, daughter, you are mature, you're ready now for the big league. I'm opening this door for you right now. Come, run the Father's business together with me. It's very different. See, this is our Father. He's interested in us. He loves us. He will encourage us, comfort us, direct us, and He will show us what is important to Him that it might be important for us. Why? Because He's got great plans. He's got a big picture. And He wants you in. 
He invites us all to participate. See, that's what Father's all about. And we have a Heavenly Father who desires that closeness of relationship with all of us. But how about those who struggle with their fathers on earth? You know, this has always been a very, very big point, a very difficult point. That we can sing a song, Good, Good Father. We can talk about God as our loving Father. But for many, for many who, who do not have that relationship with their father on earth, or who have had a bad relationship or an abusive one, they struggle with the father in heaven. And this is where God comes through. He says, I promise to be a father to the fatherless. Friends, if, if you have had a bad relationship with your father, or it may not have been terribly bad, but it's just so-so. You know, you, you've, you've never experienced whatever I shared with you that a father should have been doing. Can I say to you, we have a heavenly father, and he wants to be a father to those who may have been fatherless in their upbringing, not necessarily an orphan, but perhaps fathers have been absent in their lives. God promises to set the solitary into families. And if God is our Father, let's understand that then we are to be that family. I'm a son of God, you're a son of God, daughter of God, then that makes us brothers and sisters. Then we are to be that family that many have never experienced. We know this very famous passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, all the way to verse 21. We always quote verse 20 only, right? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. And we claim it and name it you know, for ourselves. You know, and, and it has value, praise God. That is true. But look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. All of us. God is our Father. We are family. Now what does this mean? It simply points to us that if you want to understand the fullness of this passage, that is going to take the entire family to dwell in this love of Christ, to understand our various positions, to love one another. And we come to a point that this love that we know even surpasses the knowledge that we can understand. The length, the breadth, the height, the depth. If every Christian believes the Father and loves, loves and lives for the Father and for one another, I believe we will see this whole passage come alive for us. It's not for you to say, you oh, know, I, I believe that my bank account will be exceedingly abundantly and above all I can ask or imagine. That's not the idea. It's about the family of God. Because by ourselves, I don't think we can experience the fullness. You need me and I need you. Amen? And extend this further because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul actually says, don't you know there's now one new man, no longer Jew, no longer Gentile. You want to experience this fully? Jew and Gentile, one new man in Christ. Let's love one another. You want to see the love of the Father poured out, exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. It's about family, friends. It's about family. Today we have taken verses, apply it for ourselves because we have made Christianity so individualistic. It's about family. And I thank God that in the last five to ten years, I believe there has been a recovery and a restoration of fathers in the body of Christ. Praise God for that. We can say hallelujah. First, that we know God as our loving Father. 
You see, for many of us who have grown up uh, with very strict fathers, with Asian oriental fathers who are not emotional, who don't hug, who never say, I love you, right? We, we sort of pass that down to our children. It was difficult for many you know, to identify with God as a loving heavenly father. But today, I think there's a recovery of that. And also we see in Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6 that God is turning the hearts of the fathers to sons again and turning the hearts of sons to the fathers. And I see this on three levels. Number one, that biologically, if you have a, uh, an, an issue with your father, ask the Lord to give you that spirit of Elijah that will turn your heart back to your father. If your father is having an issue with your son, then ask for both you know, father and son that God will turn both your hearts to one another and also daughters are included too. Okay? To the children. Secondly, we see spiritual fathers. There's a recovery of uh, discipleship mentoring that the older people in the church today are beginning to see their roles and their positions to speak into the lives of the younger people. And God is bringing healing also, whether is it biological or whether is it spiritual. Come on, let's be honest. Have you been hurt by a leader before? Have you been hurt by a spiritual mentor before? Have you been disillusioned? Have you been let down? Many of us have. Many of us have. You see, but God is bringing a restoration for us to see that we are all imperfect and He is the one that we should be looking to, but we have to love one another as family. God is bringing a restoration to biological relationships, spiritual relationships, but not only that, there is also a turning of the fathers to sons, sons to fathers, where the fathers of the faith are concerned. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these are the foundations, the fathers of the faith. They are the root that supports the entire olive tree. We are the Gentile church that have been grafted into this. And for too long, the church has been looking at the people of, of Israel you know, with different kind of a, either animosity or wrong teaching or something like that. And I believe God is now turning the hearts of both groups of people together because now it is one new man in Christ. And God desires for these three levels to be restored. We do not just have a big God. We also have a close God. Our Father in heaven. But let's not stop there because we have another part of the verse to continue with. And we see, hallowed be your name. We also have an awesome God. An awesome, awesome God. The word hallowed, Sometimes, uh, we, I remember, my, I think my teacher was David Leong. He was always kid, you know, um, uh, the children's ministry that he teaches in. Uh, Our Father in heaven, Howard be your name. We mispronounce this. It's all English. And many Christians may not even know what this word Hallowed means. In fact, we might even know Halloween, but we don't know Hallowed. Right? What does Hallowed mean or Hallowed uh, be your name? Well, simply, this word, we translate it into English, it's holiness, holy. Hallowed just means set apart, sanctified. comes from the word hagiadzo, to be holy, to be pure, to be sanctified and set apart. And God is totally set apart from each and every one of us. He's like, in a category of His own, it's like God, and the rest of the category is creation. You know, you, you can't even put Him together with anyone. It's not God with other gods. No, He's just God. And I like to say He's one of a kind. He's the only one, right? Because He created everything. After that, we have all our variations and all different species. 
There is no one like Him. And the beautiful thing is that we may be all made in His image, which is wonderful. We may be given the power and the authority in the Jesus name, but the Holy Spirit is fine. But can we all agree on one thing? We are still not God. Amen? We are creation. Okay, we are still not God. Only He is God. And He will always be God. And He's only God. We get to be with Him. We may be partakers of His heavenly nature, but we are not God. We're created beings. We've got to understand this. Because New Age teachings brings us very close to that fine line that says you are all little gods right now. You're just like God. There's only God. And God's holiness is an important aspect, is an important attribute. It's not to be confused with His love. Consistently through Scripture, you'll see the heavenly host will declare this one aspect of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, when he entered into the presence of God, he saw the seraphim. And what were they declaring? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Revelation, you will see the four living creatures shout the same thing. Holy, holy, holy. You think holiness is important? I think it is. First, they say it three times, and they're very, very consistent. And I tell my students this. You notice they don't say, love, 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 oh God Almighty. Right? But today, we're trying to recover this aspect of love which perhaps we may have misunderstood or we may have lost. Now listen to this, friend. Many times, whatever we consider as a revelation is not really a revelation. It's just a recovery of what was neglected. So many people say, oh, you know, there's a revelation of God's love today. Yeah, okay, fine. I, I grant that to you. But really, it's just that we have misunderstood this love. We are recovering it. But you know what's the problem with every new movement that recovers something? We don't know where to stop. We swing to the other extreme. And the problem with that is that when we make a whole theology, a doctrine of that, and we think that God is love only. No, God is a lot more than just love. Right? God is holy and God is also love. And His love mustn't be confused with His holiness. His holiness must not be confused with His love. But if you want to understand it correctly, then you can put the two together. If God is holy, then His love is also holy love. Pure, sanctified, set apart. Let's be careful not to over-romanticize God's love the way we want Him to love us in our adulterated, imperfect ways. God is holy. And there's one verse in Psalm 119 verse 9 that sort of parallels two words and puts them together. Holy and awesome is His name. So the Lord Jesus teaches us this one line. Our Father in heaven, holy is His name, right? But the psalmists were the first ones to actually declare this. Psalm 111 verse 9. Holy and awesome is His name. Now if you want a King James Version, interesting discovery I made. The word awesome in the King James original, is translated reverend. Holy and reverend is His name. And I made a discovery because I was going to be ordained as the reverend. And I said, where do we find this word reverend? The moment I discovered it in this verse, my knees went weak. Because you are taking an attribute of God and putting it on men. And we carry such a weight and a responsibility that if I am the reverend so-and-so, do I live up to that title? Do I live up 
to their expectation. No wonder so many people are disappointed. This one word called awesome, reverend, is translated from the Hebrew, which comes from the root, fear, terror. And I quote you verse 9, but in verse 10, immediately after it says, holy and awesome is His name, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Very consistent. God is holy. He's one of a kind. He's set apart. He's pure. He's perfect. He is awesome. He is fearsome. When you see that holiness of God, no wonder Isaiah fell down and said, man, you just kill me right now, okay? I mean, I don't even deserve to live. That's the way we are to respond in that presence of God. Holy and awesome, fearful. Today we use kinder words. We must have reverent awe for God. Today, awesome has become such a slang. Everything is awesome. Awesome, so good, you know. That we've lost the reverence, have we not? Yeah? Awesome becomes, wow, so talented, you know, so beautiful, so nice, so, so this and so that. I think we've lost this. We've, we've lost that nuance. God is to be revered, to be honoured and to be feared. And see, as much as He's a loving Father, He is an awesome God. And as much as I want to be approachable to my children, love them, play with them, let them climb on me and do crazy things with me and to me. But I would desire that when I speak and I'm serious, my children know that I mean business. Which parent would not want that, right? I mean, come on. You don't want to say something and then they look at you and say, don't joke like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way. We can joke, we can play. But we don't overstep that line. I want to show you a picture of me and my dad. This was obviously many years ago. And my dad and I, our relationship has always been an interesting one. He worked in the business. He was busy. Uh, he was traveling. I didn't see him very, very much. But I know that whenever he was back home, he would make effort to be with me, uh, support me in my school stuff, you know. And as I grew up, because we're just 24 years apart, uh, we, we grew up quite close and he treated me as a friend. I worked with him in the business, had a little bit of a tension because of certain differences. It was painful in a while, but after that, you know, I, I, I was called into the work of the ministry. That strained it also a little bit. It was a little bit, I believe he was disappointed because I was already running the business, went to work of the ministry. But after that, as I became the dean of the school of ministry, lo and behold, he went on his own journey and he found himself coming back to the Lord. And the greatest testimony that I share with people was that one day he applied for the school of ministry. And so from that, everyone was laughing and joking with him and teasing him because I had to interview every applicant coming in. And so they thought because he was my dad, I would just allow him to come into the school. I said, no, 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 we had to interview, you know. And that interview, and I asked him very standard questions as, as all the other applicants, but the interview turned out to be a wonderful father and son time where he really shared his heart, things that I never knew before of his own spiritual journey. 
Later on, I became his pastor. When I became a pastor, he joined our church. So I was not only his dean, I was also his pastor. Uh, and uh, along the way, today, now, as I've stepped out into full-time uh, found, founding Akipa's Awakening as a ministry, you know, he's come on board supporting us, and he is one of our Akipuses. And he's at our awakening events um, on his Facebook. He's sharing with people that you must uh, be awakened, a line and a sign, and so on, you know. And it's wonderful to have this relationship with him. And, and even more so that he has found his own relationship with Abba Father, uh, to know God for himself. But what I'm trying to share here with you is that although I may have had leadership positions over him as a dean, as a pastor, as the founder of Akiba's Awakening now, that when he serves, he serves under me in that sense, you know. You agree with me? He's still my father, right? He's still my father. He's still my dad. He's still my dad. And as much as, you know, he looks up to me as a, as a minister of God, um, and I love this picture because there was one day I had a vision before he came back to the Lord that one day when I would see him, uh, when there would be an altar call, I would see my father respond. And this wasn't the first time. This was a couple of times already. Uh, but earlier on, he responded. But this one was at our awakening event that he responded again, wanting to live his life now for the glory of God. That's my dad. That's my dad. But the point I'm making is that even though he now serves alongside and under this auspices of Akiba's awakening, he's still my father. And I still respect him. I still honor him. I still revere him. And in some sense, I do fear him, right? Because there are certain things that he says, he means business, you know? You know with all his experience, all his wisdom and all. And that's what I'm trying to share here with all of us. That as we try to recover this love of the heavenly Father that perhaps we might have missed, let's not abandon the holiness and the awesomeness of God. You've got to hold these two concepts so tightly in tension, right? and that will hold you in good stead. There are times you can bask in His presence and hop on His lap and call Him Daddy God if you want to. I, I still get goosebumps when I say that. I'm not used to that. I'm more of the traditional type to say, Oh God, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But there are times where you get on your knees and you bow and you say, Lord, you're awesome. I fear you, oh God, and I reverence you. Hold that tension. When we come to petition, come as a child of God, but come also as a worthy servant of God. And as children, we desire that this awesomeness of God, this name, this name of God, this great name of God, this big God, we want to declare this name on earth as just in heaven. That's our dad. I mean, if you're proud of your father, if you're proud of anyone in your family or of any, any person, you just want to declare him, amen? You just want to show him off. Now, God is known in heaven. You don't have to worry about that. You, that one, you don't need to do. That is not your kingdom assignment. All heavens declare, right? They, are, they know when to bow. They know. And they know their timing also. All heavens will declare. But His sons are to declare Him on earth. Did you hear that? His sons and his children are to declare him on earth. John chapter 1 verse 18 says this, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The Son declares the Father. 
The Son declares the Father. So if you and I misbehave, we declare something wrong of the Father. We misrepresent the Father. The Father has given us the authority and the power in Jesus' name to speak on His behalf. We are ambassadors of His kingdom. We serve Jesus, who is going to be that King when He comes back. Are we worthy ambassadors? That's what it means. And that's why we pray, Lord, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't we want also to declare His name on earth as it is in heaven? The bigness of God, the closeness of God, but don't forget the awesomeness of God. That's my dad. Is that your dad? That's my dad. That's my dad. (laughs) And so as we close, let me remind you again, prayer is about approaching someone to ask for something, acknowledging our great need for God's help. Do you know who you're approaching? And if you know who you're approaching, do you know how to approach Him? Prayer is talking to God, talking with God as our Heavenly Father. And I want you to know that you can be convinced you are talking to the boss. He's a big God. He's in charge. His kingdom is going to last forever. All power, all glory belong to Him. He can make things happen. And if for any reason He he allows anything just to to be as they are, you know He's still in control. He's sovereign. Nothing, nothing surprises God. He's sovereign and He's still on His throne. But when you come to Him, come with reverence. Come with honour. Don't come with presumption. Determined to make His name great on earth. And all these points are just summary points for us as we close this teaching. But understand this, it all begins with the right relationship with that. So as we close, let me ask you this question. How's your relationship with that? How's your relationship with that? And before you answer that question about heavenly dad, maybe in your heart you want to ask, how's my relationship with my earthly dad? Because your, your, your relationship with your earthly father might have a bearing on the way you relate to your Heavenly Father. And if you have no problems relating to your Heavenly Father, then I say, praise God. Then ask your Heavenly Father, perhaps, to help you restore that relationship with your earthly Father. And so we're going to close, and we're going to pray. And I think it's good if we close once more with this prayer, that together we can pray this and ask God to answer us according to this pattern. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.